Easter services, and we had people come to know Christ in a more powerful way, and we're just so excited about those. And, and this week, one of the things we intentionally decided to do was take a little break from our Revelation series. I've been telling you we're going to do that, and uh, we're doing that. I, I realize that some of you might need a break from all that. It's real thick and heavy, and, and we might just let, need our... Uh, let to, yeah. See, I need a break from speaking publicly because apparently I can't put words together this morning. We just need a little bit of a break from that. And so um, we'll be starting that again next week, uh, and we'll be jumping into chapter 6. And if you were with us on Easter, then you've got the whole key to the whole thing. If not, go back and re-listen to some of those sermons, because Easter really was the key, the, the scroll, all that stuff was the key to the rest of the book of Revelation. Um, We've got a special guest speaker here today. Uh, uh, he's a new, uh, new member to our church, Dr. Scott Ramsey. He told me, don't call me doctor, but he's got his doctorate. He went through all that hard work. He wrote his dissertation on millennial leadership development. So your kids who are teenagers that are millennials, and you're like, man, what am I doing with these? What do we do with these kids? He could tell you exactly what to do with them, right? <laughs> And his, his, brother, his brother jumped in and just decided to play drums for us this morning, and uh, that was phenomenal. But, but he's, you know, we throw this title doctor around, but really what he is is he's a pastor. He loves people. He's a chaplain to, uh, those, to people who are nearing the end of their life. He loves people. He's a pastor, a chaplain. He's working on his ordination, uh, but most of all, he's a, a father, and he's a wonderful family man, and um, I asked him to share with us today uh, his heart and share with us a little bit from Scripture this morning. So would you join me in welcoming Pastor Scott Ramsey? Well, thanks, Dave. Oh, my goodness. It's been quite a while that I've had the privilege of uh, speaking in a church setting, so hopefully this will go okay. Um, Thanks again. This, this church family has warmly welcomed my wife and my daughters and I, and we're very grateful to be here. Um, and uh, as Dave said, we're going to take a break from Revelation today. Um, if you have a Bible, please turn to John chapter 20. That's where we're going to start today. We're going to do a little topical talk today. Uh, we're going to float through a lot of different texts. The text will be up on the screen, but if you don't have a Bible, please Raise your hand. Somebody will get you a Bible, and if you don't own a Bible and have one for yourself, please take that as a gift from us uh, to you uh, today as well. Last week was a glorious week. Uh, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, was an amazing Sunday. I don't know about you, but uh, Pastor Dave's sermon was, for me, it was fantastic. Uh, It was just um, the centerpiece, really, I I think you're saying, the the launching pad to the rest of our study in the book of Revelation, and I, I really appreciated that. John chapter 20 kind of goes forward a little bit in the narrative of the Easter story. In John chapter 20, Jesus appears to his disciples. And he appeared to his disciples post-resurrection multiple times. This just happens to be one of those times that they count. I'm going to start reading in chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a great uh, story and a great text that Jesus shocks his followers with this appearance. Um, and he reassures them that he is in control. Hey, look at me. I'm, I'm, it's me. I am, I am your conquering Savior. I have defeated death and sin. And, and then he, he moves from that real quickly and he gets to the point. He says, look, you're going to be sent out to accomplish my mission. And this, this message applies for us today, that Jesus is sending us out to complete his mission. The great commission that he gave, uh, he gave us to make disciples. And he does this, and he again reminds them that they're going to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is the method? We have to ask ourselves, what is the method that Jesus applied in his life, in his ministry, that he wants us to apply in order to accomplish his mission. And it's pretty simple, really. It's investing your life into others. Simply investing yourself into other people. And I believe that God desires for all of us to have a couple different types of relationships in our life. First of all, we all need a mentor. We all need somebody who is investing in our life to teach us the way to go, the way of following Jesus. And once we've had that kind of an experience, we then can then reinvest ourselves in somebody else's life. So we should also have an apprentice, somebody who we are teaching on the job training, so to speak, on the way of following Jesus, to being a a Jesus follower. I've had the privilege over the course of my life to experience this. As uh, many of you remember, I grew up at Skyline Wesleyan Church in San Diego, California. And that, this was a church that had within its DNA, deeply rooted in its DNA, this idea and concept of investing your life into somebody else. I saw my mom and dad's life change as, an early, uh, in a, as a young child. I saw my brother and I got involved in the church. And soon we were surrounded by many adults who were investing their lives into us. And I can go back into my um, early years, and my parents also obviously invested in my life as best as they know, knew how as baby and young Christians themselves. My junior high pastor, his name was Dave. I love that name. My junior high pastor, Dave, he, uh, he really invested his life into me. Now, I can't remember really much that he preached, although he was a really good preacher. I remember the time he spent with me, the multiple hours just being with me, opening up the scriptures with me, and discipling me, showing me the way, modeling the way for me. When I was in high school, I had a couple of high school pastors in my life that did that, and I had a a discipleship group leader. I was involved in a discipleship group as a high school student with me, one other student, and an adult volunteer. And that adult volunteer, his name's Bo, and I'll never forget Bo. I still connect with him sometimes on Facebook. Um, he's a school teacher, and he, he, he changed my life. He bored me to death with Greek and Hebrew because he was a seminary student at the time, but he changed my life. He helped me be the person I am today. And as an adult, when I went to college, I, I really wanted to find somebody that I could look up to spiritually and that would mentor me and and be there for me. And his name was Jackson. I met him on the first day I moved into the dormitory. 
And he was from L.A., and we were both in Virginia for college. And I was like, oh, a Californian. Uh, so we, we connected, and he's a youth pastor today in uh, Downey, not too far from here. He was a mentor in my life. When I took my first job as a youth pastor in a church in Carlsbad, I know, really hard, uh, living by the beach, um, I, I had a guy staff there. He was the worship pastor. His name's Phil. He became a mentor in my life. Still connects with, I still connect with him from time to time. And then I moved up to Modesto area, and probably the most significant pastoral mentor in my life for the 10, 11 years or so I was up in Modesto, California. His name is Pastor Ross. And Pastor Ross was the type of guy, he's now, I think he's about 73 years old. He's been pastoring his church of about 50 people for 50 years. Can you imagine that? And I got to know him through a pastor's prayer meeting. And then I just, one day I just went up to him and I said, hey, I don't know if you'd be interested, but um, I, I'm looking for a, a spiritual pastoral mentor in my life. Would you, would you be willing to do that? And I don't know if that'll scare you off or what. Um, and he looked at me and he says, you know, I think that would be great because I know I can learn a lot from you too. I hook, line, and sinker, I found the right guy. <laughs> um, and so we developed this relationship and he's been my pastor. He was the pastor that oversaw my ordination, my original ordination into ministry. He's still a a main influence in my life, even though we're uh, far apart from each other now. I call him and he'll answer the phone. (laughs) Um, And he's there for me. We all need that. And if I hadn't had all those people in my life, I wouldn't have known how and I wouldn't have been modeled. I wouldn't know how to do it for others. And I love doing it for others because people have done it for me. So what is this spiritual mentor, guide, disciple maker? It's any person that intentionally you enter into a relationship with, to intentionally learn from, to help grow in your understanding of, of, of the Lord, the understanding of life, and where you're supposed to go in life, how you react to the problems of life. Every area of your life, it's somebody you can go to and glean from. Now the Bible has a lot of examples of these types of relationships, and I just want to Roll over a few of them real quick. Abraham mentored Lot. Jacob mentored Joseph. Jethro mentored Moses. Moses then in turn mentored Joshua. Naomi and Ruth, you know that story. Naomi mentored Ruth. Jonathan mentored King David. King David then mentored 12 mighty men, which is really cool. 12, get it? Jesus, pretty cool. Um, (laughs) uh, Anyway, His disciples, uh, Jesus, let's talk about Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, Paul, the Apostle Paul mentored Timothy, and he mentored a lot of people, but Timothy and Silas, to name uh, a couple. I've entitled the message today, Leaving a Legacy. And there's a reason why I've entitled it that way, because legacy is an important word. And it's a word that we often think about. Legacy is simply, I, I, I failed a lot of my dictionary or my vocabulary tests as a kid, so I always have to look up dictionary.com. And so I, I looked up dictionary.com, and it is hand, uh, legacy is anything handed down from the past as from an ancestor or predecessor. So legacy is usually associated with le- something that we want to leave our family, our loved ones with, something meaningful after we die. As a hospice chaplain, this is a big part of what I do when I spend time with people. Because it's often something that somebody thinks about when they're nearing their their death here in in this life. We have a lot of conversations about legacy. What is it that we're leaving behind to the next generation? 
So the question for all of us to consider is, what is your lasting legacy? What are you going to leave behind? What story will be told of your life? Have you or will you echo the words of the psalmist? This happens to be one of my favorite scriptures. Psalm 71, verse 18. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Now, my hope and my prayer is that all of us would want to echo that prayer at the end of life. Say, God, I'm not done yet. I still have something to give. I often challenge people that have gray hair who don't think they have anything to offer the next generation. Oh, yes, you do. One of the greatest things that I love to do, both when I was a youth pastor and now as a hospice chaplain, I love listening to people's stories, life lessons. And I posture myself as a student when I meet with somebody, whether a patient on hospice service, I, I'll sit down and say, you know, I'm a relatively young man. What can you tell me? What's the secret? <laughs> you know, if I hear a story of a married couple that's been married for 50, 60, 70 years, I'll be like, what is the secret? And it's really quite comedical what comes out when I ask that question. Uh, but um, it's great. I, I want to learn. I want to learn from the, the older generation. And the youngers need to learn the stories. So let's go back to Jesus here. We're talking about Jesus today. So what is Jesus' lasting legacy? Jesus left a legacy of investing his life into others. It's pretty simple. Again, the word investment, I'm going to use that a lot. So I looked that up on dictionary.com. Investment means a devoting, a using, or a giving of time, talent, and emotional energy as for a purpose to achieve something. It's giving of your time, your emotional energy, your relational energy, everything. It's giving, it's giving yourself to something meaningful with purpose. This legacy is, of investing is directly tied to the great commission that Jesus left for us. He multiplied himself in a small group of men, his 12 disciples. And he modeled for them the way to accomplish the Great Commission. You know this passage, we're going to read it anyways. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said to them, All, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is asking us to make disciples, followers of Jesus. We are to bring people into a relationship with Jesus and then help them become fully devoted. We are to accomplish this the way Jesus accomplished this. We do this through developing meaningful relationships with people. Jesus spent time with his disciples and he lived life together with them. Another one of my favorite texts, Mark chapter 3, that just in a snapshot shows us the devotion that Jesus had in investing himself into people. He said, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. That's an interesting statement. Jesus called, he had a lot of crowd. He had a huge crowd of followers. But he then, at one point in this text, in this story, says he takes those that he wanted and they came to him. And he appointed 12, designating them as apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out 
to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. I love this. So he gathered people he wanted, and then he took those people and he said, you are now going to be with me for a purpose. You're going to learn everything you need to learn from me so that you can then do it yourself. This text describes an active part of Jesus' own mission, not just being physically close to Jesus, not just a proximity to him. He says the disciples will do what he does, not just tag, tag along as spectators. In the process of, of doing life with him, he taught them everything they needed to know and experience in order to carry on his mission. It's important to notice that it, Jesus didn't teach, just teach them the knowledge. He gave them the experience they needed to carry on his mission when he was no longer there. That's what it means to multiply yourself into other people. Now, notice he did this in a very informal and relational way. He didn't set up a school. You didn't see him say, okay, um, I'm going to fundraise money and we're going to build a building and we're going to hold classes and we're going to advertise on the radio. (laughs) We're going to advertise out there and people are going to come to us and we're going to teach them classes. In our day and age, we call that school, um, seminary, (laughs) you know. Um, He said, no, I want you to come and live life with me. Follow me. Jesus didn't have a set-up school. He was a traveling guy. He went around to different places, and he told people about the kingdom of heaven. And he performed miracles. And he said, guys, I want you to come with me. I want you to walk. I want you to participate. Because you know what? There will be a time that I'm no longer called to do it here. You will be. So in the process of living life with his followers, he did four basic things. And I want to call our attention to these things because I believe... He's asking us to do the same. Number one, he shared a vision for his kingdom. The vision of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth was totally different from what the disciples were taught by their religious teachers of their day. So Jesus took every opportunity he had to explain this vision to the disciples. He spent a lot of time phrasing, rephrasing, painting pictures, using metaphors to make it easier for them to understand He spent time, much of his time, teaching and explaining to his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is like. If you read the the book of Matthew, they're in big chunks of his teachings, okay? Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew chapter 5. That was a big part of this teaching of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus was preparing his disciples to walk out their faith in light of the end result He was letting them know that there is more to this life than just what we're seeing here. It's bigger than that. We have to think in terms of eternity. There's a bigger thing going on here. So what does that look like for us when we're mentoring people in the life of faith? We we invest our lives, when we invest our lives in others, we inspire and clarify a desired outcome. We inspire and clarify our desired outcome. So I, I love, I personally love time with young people in the Lord or young people in general um, to help them see God's desire for their life. In light of eternity, in light of the entire lifespan, 
We have to open up people's eyes and open up people's understandings of what life is about. Not just in the moment. We're a very in-the-moment culture. We've got to expand the worldview. I enjoy coaching people to dream big dreams. I've been a big dreamer in my life. And if it wasn't for those incredible mentors in my life, I wouldn't have accomplished what I have in life because they were there to help me clarify and make left and right turns. If you would have asked me eight years ago I would be a hospice chaplain, I would have laughed in your face. I had no idea that's what God was calling me to. But it's truly my calling, and I love it. It's my passion now. I went into ministry thinking it was going to be youth ministry the rest of my life. My older brother is a lifelong youth pastor. That's his mission. That's his calling. But I had a different road. And it took mentors in my life to help me find my way. And I love doing that for others. Right now, I'm mentoring a student um, at a Bible college in Kansas. You're like, wow, how do you do that? Well, I Skype with him. And he's a student in this master's program there. And um, I spend a lot of time with him over the last two years. He's getting ready to graduate from the program. And what was really cool about this process of mentoring this student, he completely changed his life trajectory. His calling completely changed. He felt God's call away from youth ministry in the church. And now he's pursuing, he's like a dean of students on a college campus, Ohio Christian University, just got a new job. And it's an amazing process to see how God can use some, some uh, 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 for him it was a, a study, it was, it was doing this research and study on mentoring the next generation, and he just felt God's call shifted in his life, and I was one of those guys in his life that was helping him clarify the desired outcome of following and obeying the Lord Jesus into this new calling for his life. That's one thing that Jesus did for his disciples, and that's one thing that we can do for others. Second of all, he modeled a new way of life. He spent even a greater amount of time displaying and modeling what it means to live out the kingdom. Most of the parables Jesus taught were about the kingdom of God and how to live it out. Jesus demonstrated what it meant to live in the context of the kingdom by loving God and serving others. He rarely went anywhere by himself. And if he did, it was specifically to meet with his heavenly Father, to spend quality one-on-one time with God. He took his group of followers wherever he went, and he never missed an opportunity to model the way and explain his actions to his disciples. I mean, just look at it. Just look through the gospel stories. He modeled for them. And then a lot of times he would have to sit them down afterwards and say, hey, guys, this is why I I just did this. This is why it's important. And he had to reframe a lot for for them, especially when it came to spending time with children. You notice that? When Jesus spent time with children, Joseph was like, what are we doing? Why are we spending time with kids? I said, no, 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 no. This is what it's about. We need to let all the children come to me. It's an amazing thing. So what does that mean for us? When we invest our lives into others, we demonstrate and display a life of devotion to God and service to others. So there's one, a couple ways of looking at this. You can look at this negatively. I don't know if you've had some negative or, or bad examples of this in your life. I mean, some of us have, right? We... we 
we've heard a lot of those, you know, do as I say, not as I do kind of things. You know, we, we have had people in our life that say that we're supposed to do something and then yet they themselves are not living up to what they say we're supposed to be living. And then there's people that do exactly what they say they do. So my encouragement for all of us is to spend time with those people that live exactly what they preach. Jesus is calling us to actually put into practice what we say is true about being a Jesus follower. For 1 John chapter 2, this is a strong text. It says, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. This is not about rule keeping. It's one of the things I'm learning a lot these days about pursuing holiness and living our life in the pursuit of becoming like Jesus. It's out of love. When we obey the Lord, we grow in our love for the Lord. And it says in the text here, God's love is truly made completed to him. So when we're doing that which we say we do, that we preach, we're falling more in love with Jesus when we're doing that. And when we're doing that, if we have another person that's following us and we're mentoring them, they're seeing our love for Jesus is what's causing this to take place. Because it's not about do's or don'ts and rules. It's about falling more in love with Jesus. So we, he modeled it, and I believe we can model it for people as well. Number three, he enabled them to live his way. Jesus didn't do everything himself. He modeled the way only to enable his disciples to do likewise. In essence, he qualified the unqualified by showing them that they had what it took to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Have you ever had anybody say, yeah, you have what it takes, and that actually then empowers you to do it? It's an incredible experience. If you're told no all the time, you tend to give up. So when, when, you, when we invest our lives into others, we release and empower others to reach their God-given potential. It's about releasing and empowering others. It's not about holding on to it ourselves. Because Jesus didn't. Jesus, Jesus had a time for which he was modeling it, and then there was times where he sent them out and said, guys, go do it. So we need to model our own life after that. And the fourth thing he did kind of goes along with that. It's he encouraged them to live his way. So when you release and empower others, you then build them up through encouragement. Enabling up can be messy. <laughs> because when you're qualifying and unqualified, it can get messy and it can get difficult. People make mistakes. You know, Jesus' disciples often stumbled. They often they often did things they ought not have, should have done. They made mistakes. We will too. The cool thing is that after every time that they had an experience for which they had maybe faltered a little bit, made a little bit of a mistake, he would, come, he would bring them aside and say, hey, 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 guys, don't worry. 
Do not be afraid. That's kind of the context of even the resurrection story, right? The disciples were totally um, discouraged, and they, they couldn't believe it. They, didn't, they had no faith in those moments. And he says, peace be with you. It's okay. I'm in control. I'm here. I'm with you. Reassuring his disciples that he was still in control when they now are released to make disciples. So when we invest our lives in others, what we are doing is we're uplifting and we're motivating them to never give up on their desired outcome. So we release them and they might stumble a little bit, make, it, make some mistakes. We then gather them back and say, it's okay, you're doing it. Learn from that, grow from it. And release them back out. So how do we leave this legacy of Jesus to invest our lives into others? We continue this legacy of Jesus through life-on-life learning experiences. Life-on-life learning experiences. The Apostle Paul took this very seriously as he planted churches all over the Middle East. He realized that he needed to pass everything he knew and who he was in Christ to others so that the kingdom could expand that the kingdom of God would expand and the process of the Great Commission would continue to go forth. Paul said this phrase 11 times in his epistles, be imitators of me. 11 times. Which indicates his desire to model for them, not just to teach them the way of following Jesus. See, this is an interesting thought. If we were to ask Paul, if Paul could come up here on the stage today and I have sat and asked him, hey, Paul, how do we grow in our Christian faith? You know, he wouldn't answer the way we would typically answer. You know what we typically tell people? Uh, read your Bible. Learn about Jesus. Pray. Serve the church. Those are all good things. But that's not what Paul would say. Paul would say, um, look at me. Follow me. Come spend time with me as I pursue knowing Jesus more and more. First Corinthians, he said it. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me in everything, for holding to the teachings, just as I've passed them on to you. So this was the case in that time frame because the New Testament scripture, as we know, it wasn't written yet. And many of the people in that culture were illiterate anyway. We could not, they could not have just said, go read the text and report back to me what you learned. It wasn't as a readily available as we have information about the Word of God that we have today. They didn't have all the Bible study curriculum the way we do. Go read this book and tell me what you learned from it. They didn't do that. They didn't have that. We're very blessed to have these resources today. But they had a different culture. It was very much a, an auditory and experiential culture. They learned what they knew of God from watching, doing, and hearing the Word of God. 
It's interesting. I, I, I find this very, very interesting because I think that in our culture today, this model of doing discipleship and doing, investing life, our life into other people is extremely effective today. First Thessalonians, Paul says, um, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. So when we're investing our life into others, we are living life with them. We include them into our life. And we model for them. Up on the screen, I will point out the, the little chart I have here. In the time, there were, in, back in the biblical time, there was two ways of learning, the Greek model and the Hebrew model of learning. The Greek model, you might recognize. And in the Greek model, you might even want to put slash modern American model. It was a- academic. It was passive learning and cerebral informational. It's what we're doing right now. You're sitting there passively listening to me. And hopefully it was a little bit informative and challenging to your brain. Okay? But that's the model. And I believe that's the model of the American modern church and the American modern way of education. Now, the Hebrew model was different. It was a, a coach model. It was relational. It was experiential. And it was, quite frankly, on-the-job training. Now, in this box, you can, by Hebrew, you can say postmodern, if you want culture. I believe that's where we're at today. I think kids learn relationally. I think the next generation learns relationally. They learn experientially. One of my, one of my lasting legacies, I think, as a junior high pastor when I did that, was that I loved teaching students and modeling for them and doing with them how to read Scripture. I got so tired of always being, being the one. I heard it a lot as a, as a student, and I've, I've, heard, I've said it a lot as an adult. Just read your Bible. You know how many students would say, but it's so boring, right? Well, how do you know it's boring if you've never read it? I'm like, oh, wait a minute, time out. It's because the way I teach it is boring. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so we've got to change up how we're doing this here. And, you know, I could say, well, you need to spend time reading your Bible for 10, 15 minutes a day. Whatever you can, you know. Do it, you know, do this. And then stu- I would have, like, students were like, I don't understand. I can't do it. I'm like, okay, so you know what we're going to do? We're going to take uh, once a month, instead of our normal small groups Bible study on Wednesday night, we're going to start practicing spiritual disciplines, some of the classical ones, and we're going to do it together. So I taught them how to read the Scripture and pray Scripture and meditate on scripture and we did it as a group and then we would model it as a group and then i would let them have 15 20 minutes or so by themselves that night and i remember that the first parents meeting i had after that the parents were like man what are you doing on these once a month wednesday nights i'm like what do you what do you mean She's like what do you what is your students saying they're like they're coming home really excited about the lord i'm like really wow that's awesome yeah they they said that you had them go outside and look up at the stars and, and think about how big God is. I'm like, yeah, did they get something from that? Yeah. That's the most con- spiritual conversation I've ever had with my student. Well, that's because they experienced it instead of just being taught it. 
So it's important for us in our culture today to experience life and invest in somebody else's life. As we close today, I, I, just, I don't know if you've ever had a person in your life, the way I've been blessed to have spiritual mentors in my life. Because a lot of times when I talk to people about this and I do uh, trainings and stuff on how to do this, that people are like, I, I've never had that before. How am I supposed to know how to do it? If that's, if that's you, it's okay. You can learn on-the-job training, right? You can learn how to invest your life into somebody else. But our challenge today as a church, I know Pastor Dave is very passionate about this, but investing our lives into other people. So if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I'm going to just spend a time just kind of wrapping up. I want you to just think, what is the main roadblock in your life that's pre- preventing you from investing in somebody else's life? I don't know. It could be time. It could be the fact that you don't know anybody who's young in the Lord. Or you don't know anybody that's young to invest your life in. Whatever it might be, just, just process and think about what is it that, that's causing me not to be a discipler of people. Ask God to begin to open up your mind and and your heart to creatively think of how you can do this. Zig Ziglar said, you can teach people what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And I think Jesus would definitely want us to reproduce who we are in Him out of our loving relationship with the Lord ourself to reproduce that into other people. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we are challenged. I know I'm again challenged to think of who's my next investment going to be? Who is it that's in my life that I can pour into? And God, also, who is it that I can ask to pour into me at this stage in my life? So God, please help us seek those relationships out because we want to be a people who reproduce who we are. That our lasting legacy is found in investing in the next generation. Help us to do that as a church body, collectively, ministry-wise, here and individually in our places of work, in our homes, our neighborhoods. Challenge us, we pray. And we thank you, God, for this opportunity. We pray in your name. Amen.